The time is 6.28pm. Oh, a little bit late, but here we are on a Monday evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. So, um, just to confuse everybody, we came. We didn't do a show last night. We, we're doing a show tonight because you had prior engagements that then actually got cancelled. It's all my fault. And to be fair, you didn't do a sh- uh, It's a, it's uh, it's a shambles. It's a shambles. I was supposed to play two cricket matches at the weekend: Sussex, Sussex versus Yorkshire in the National Knockout Cup and the League. And unfortunately, Yorkshire were unable to send a side, so conceded both games, but too late for us to re- rearrange. But then it poured with rain all weekend, so we wouldn't have had any cricket anyway. So all's well that ends well, and here we are with a special Monday night episode. I know. Don't don't we like to, to spoil our listener? Sorry, listeners. Got more than one. Yeah, there's definitely there's, de- there's definitely more than one. Um, so um, so this evening we have the the last of our um, three part series, which was a month or so. So um, this tonight's episode is with Count- Councillor Daniel Weems for Hilsey, um, and um, the the prior um, the prior parts of this series were um, with um, Kirsty Miller in Charles Dickens and with Kimberly Barrett uh, from. Milton. Um, so, the last not but least, we've got Daniel joining us, but we're going to call him Dan because otherwise he feels like he's got something. We've, he does, he's done something wrong, and he hasn't. So, other than agree to be on our show, so thank you very much and welcome, Dan. Good evening, everyone. You're right. Yeah, I haven't done anything wrong yet. So <laughs> yeah, Dan is fine. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're you're all right. So. Um, so we've got some we've got some questions lined up, but um, if anybody has some questions that they'd, they'd also like us to put to Dan, then please by all means do submit them in the in the chat to the live stream on Facebook. Um, and if you're not already, please do follow us on Facebook to make sure that you get alerts when we actually go live. Um, or you can also follow us on Twitter. So on Facebook, we're Pompey Politics Podcast, and on Twitter, we're um, Pompey Podcast One. I don't quite know. Oh, quite quite well. We? Yeah. Oh, that's rubbish. Yeah, it was a bit rubbish. I'm sorry. We're going to have to... We'll, 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 we'll get rid of that intern. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, that we'll we don't fix have. that in post. <laughs> so, Dan, ready. welcome. Um, so, could you start by introducing yourself and um, what got you into politics? Um, so, yeah, my name is Daniel Weems. I'm the new Hillsy councillor. Uh, I grew up in Hillsy, which people obviously know. Um, went to Northern Prairie Junior School and then... When I finished my studies, I went to university and studied politics in Westminster in London. And then after that, I came back, did the typical university sh- student, did a gap year away in Asia and went all around Asia and did things there. And uh, when I came back to Portsmouth, I studied uh, international relations and European studies at the university there. And once I finished my studies, I was lucky enough to get employed by the city MP, well, Portsmouth North MP, Penny Morden. And I've worked there ever since. Um, in terms of why I'm interested in politics, I think it's more about the idea that I like to see how things change. I like to see policies and decisions implemented. And it's more about like the analysis about how these decisions are made, uh, like how they're compromised and how they in terms of affect people's lives. And I think in terms of politics, working for someone such as Penny Morton, I get to see that every day. And then that led on to, oh, I do it 
a national government, why don't I get involved in local politics? And then naturally a position came up as a candidate for Hillsley, which was like, this is fantastic. You know, I grew up there, I know the area so well, got friends and family there, been there, obviously go there daily. And um, basically, yeah, I, I said, well, I'd like to get involved. And I was lucky enough to be picked as a candidate. And then now I don't have to call myself a candidate. I can actually say I'm a councillor and I'm, I'm here now. That's basically what I've done. Marvellous. Big shoes to fill, though, Dan. Yeah. Well, following, yeah, following the great leader, uh, how does that feel? Um, it, it does come with a lot of pressure because every time I meet a resident, it's, oh, what happened to Donna? Where's Donna? I'm like, well, I'm not the new Donna, but I'm certainly like someone um, you can trust in. Uh, I think that was part of the selection process is how do you see yourself um, once Donna is gone? And I said, it's not about what Donna's done. It's about what I'm going to do. And I think that was part of my why I got selected. I, I didn't focus on the past. I focused on the future. So it certainly is big. There are big shoes to fill, but I think I'm doing all right so far. Excellent. Okay, so to steal a bit from um, Matthew Atkins's introduction of you from the from full council, <laughs> so um, so with a with a father in the Royal Navy and a, and a mother that works for the NHS, um, what was it that lured you to the Conservatives rather than any other party? Um, I wouldn't say I was lured overly. Um, like a lot of my upbringing was about hard work. And it's typical, like the conservative slogan of with a party of business, with a party of obviously you work hard as a meritocracy. But I think from my own upbringing, it's about like discipline and what, what you can bring to the table. And if you obviously you're the right shoes and you've got the right minds, you can do anything. And I think that's kind of what the conservatives spoke to me. And it's not necessarily that Labour and the Liberal Democrats, you know, don't also pioneer these thoughts it's just i just found that there's more of an affinity that can to the conservative ideals um i also have a stepdad so I'm, i am a navy brat but um i also have a lot of uh, respect for my stepfather he works in the boat industry and I, all i would ever see is him do 12 hour days uh he'll come he'll obviously go out to work at 5 a.m he'll come back at 5 p.m and it was that kind of hard graft that kind of inspired me to get into politics in the sense of like I said before, I like to see how change is affected. So I wouldn't say I was lured, but I was. It just seemed to be the pie that fit my ideals more. You got to be careful with Simon Danny. He'll slip the odd word in, like lured. <laughs> so, so, so for me, it's it's natural to be attracted to light rather than darkness. I think that's uh, that's perfectly understandable. So, in terms of you got that the wrong way around, politics, man. Yeah, and again, you sound you sound very passionate and driven, and and are talking about you know wanting to 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 kind of achieve and make a mark. Is there one thing in local politics that you know, having seen it already, that you you think? could and should be changed um as i'm fairly new to the local scene the only criticism i really have and what i would want to see changed is the idea of having elections basically every 12 months i think a lot of people obviously some people enjoy it because they see a lot of short-term gain and short-term change but i think the best thing i would want to see is either two years or every four years because trying to obviously run a city and trying to obviously see trying to plan is the main part, part of things. So if you have every four years or every two years, you can put more long-term decisions and people can actually see, oh, okay, they said this two years ago, 
um, how what's the development, what's the progress on X, Y, and Z. But when it's every 12 months, it's, it's, it's basically just point scoring. It's, it's kind of a negative aspect of the portion of city council is every 12 months, oh, there's going to be a new councillor or there could obviously be someone who's been uh, a councillor before in a different area. So I, I don't see the long-term solutions to a lot of problems in Portsmouth. And I think that's what I would see change is two-year elections or four-year elections, depending on what people want to decide. And what do you think might be holding back? You know, uh, we, we, I think there's a, there's a, you know, there, there are opposing views, but I, what, what do you think is holding back that moving to that, you know, winner takes all every four years, so at least you've got four years to deliver on your promises? I think it's a difficult question in the sense of, I, I would say, as politics changes every couple of years, there's always um, one party gets more popular than the other. For example, the Conservatives have enjoyed, obviously, a, a long-term popularity that the Labour and Lib Dems haven't. So in, their, in that sense, the Liberal Democrats possibly have a bit more to lose by going every two years at this present moment. So I think it would have to be a compromise reach. They'd have to say, OK, in 10 years' time, we're going to move to four years' elections or, or some form of long-term decision where everyone can prepare and, and no-one's missing out. And I think that needs a collective decision rather than one party picks the other parties. Seems it's, reasonable. I it, think poor old Simon wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't have any leaflets to deliver for a couple of years. Simon. <laughs> also, that yeah, it wouldn't well, be as enjoyable every like May election time um, where you get to in, in, uh, see what people are up to and whatnot. Yeah, I, I guess there's the there's the balance of some some people really really like the the cut and thrust of campaigning, and some and some people. Um, would really actually rather get on with doing some governing so it's uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to balance the kind of having the time to because some of the big things that the city faces some of them need to be blunt need some initially unpopular decisions made in order to yeah. actually make the changes that are necessary and, and maybe our current electoral system doesn't help with that because it means that no one is brave no one can be brave enough to say actually we're, we're going to have to do xyz um but in two years time it will have these benefits, but initially it might be a bit of a, pain, a pinch point. Um, I can see where that, but that's also then versus the, um, you know, the whole kind of democratic thrust of well, we give the public a chance to speak three out of three out of every every four years. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I must admit, I'm. I can I can see the benefits of both, but I I think some of the some of the decisions that need making need need actually yeah, the time I, to do I, it. I do agree. I can see why people really enjoy it because it's more about exposure. You're seeing your candidates out every 12 months and you can kind of get a feel for what's happening locally in the city. But it must, like you just said, it must be quite difficult in terms of if there's a long-term plan or a long-term decision, there's short-term, it's going to be really unpopular. That is obviously at the detriment at, to certain parties. So it's hard to put long-term policy decisions in place if there's going to be a short-term detriment yeah. to your own party. And I, I can see why the Lib Dem Liberal Democrats have problems with this, and I can see it as a Conservative, where if we're planning the manifesto, we're like, oh, we can't put this in because it might obviously ruin the chances of another candidate getting in, in a certain area in Portsmouth. But it is, a big, it is a debate, and I can see both sides of the, of the argument mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't it, um, just, to, just on a practical level, wouldn't that also need to go to a referendum to the city, rather that it's not something that the council or the cabinet would have 
the power I to decide. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think obviously you'd have to consult residents on it more, yeah. more so than anyone. Yeah. So uh, we 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 love referendums these days, though. You know. Um, yeah, referendums are fun. <laughs> Fifty-two will do, Simon. <laughs> who was that man that said 5248 would and it wouldn't be over oh that was Nigel Farage yeah, yeah. Um, so but we're not going to get dragged down into that hole so, thank oh, you very much it. let's keep on track yeah. with our questions <laughs> so uh, thank you Dan don't don't mind us while we gently batter each other around a little bit um, so uh, where do we where do we get to so yeah so that was your what you'd like to change in, um, in in Portsmouth so what is it you think? Uh, so Hilsey um, is quite evidently a conservative stronghold. Um, what is it about the ward that makes makes it that? Do you think? Um, I wouldn't know why or try and guess why people vote conservatives as a whole. I can only talk about my own experience. But I think from talking to the residents, it's mainly about having hardworking councillors that came before. As, um, regardless of what people's opinions are on Donna Jones, she was hardworking. She would always be talking to residents and uh, obviously um, speaking with them and trying to understand what they expect from their councillors. So, and I had a similar experience when I was campaigning. Is when I spoke to residents about, oh, we see Scott Harris all the time. We see uh, Councillor Jonas all the time as well. Like, you know, Frank's always in the. I mean, granted, he may be in a pub a lot, but that's one of the best places to meet residents. So I think it's more about. Um, from a local level, I think having a hardworking councillor team kind of puts you in good stead for the future if you are equally as hardworking when you become a councillor in that area. Um, as a whole, I, I wouldn't be able to guess as why people vote blue in Hilsey because when I speak to Frank, he's been around for a long time, he said, well, Hilsey, you know, has always been quite blue, but it, demographics change. You know, lots of people move in and out of the area and they might hold different opinions of what um they expect from a political party so i would from my resident from my personal experience i would say from residents it's just having hard-working councillors who listen okay and you spoke there about being you know talking to people on the doorstep and being out and about uh, again for for most of our listeners they they won't have been involved in actively in a local political campaign so could could you give us a flavour of the, the the work that's involved in in trying to win a seat like Hilsey and you know how with the resources you have you manage to 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 spread that and, and support other wards as well? Yeah, I think um, the biggest tip would be have a good pair of trainers. I mean, the amount of walking you do is just insane. But um, so if you're looking for a really good exercise regime, a political campaign is probably one of the, the best because you're just constantly on your feet. But I've, I'm in a unique position because I work for this um, Penny Morden. I've dealt with general election campaigns as well. So I think it's it's basically knocking on doors, doing the doing the hard work, like knocking on doors, phoning residents, um, engaging with them on social media. So there's obviously lots of different councillors are part of uh, different Facebook groups. So I'm part of a few of them now as a councillor because when I was campaigning, I tried not to join too many because I didn't want to be seen as just trying to vie for votes. But now I'm elected, I've joined them all and I'm, I'm trying to be as engaging as possible. But I think it's just getting your face out there is the main thing. And that's the hardest part is trying to go to different areas of the ward you may not necessarily know that well. Um, so when I was when I lived in Hillsley and I grew up there as a kid, I obviously know certain areas, like I'm, at the back of my hand, I'm like, this is brilliant. But like the Gatcombe Estate, 
military estate, obviously all the area around the Lido. But in terms of the north of the ward, I wouldn't necessarily have gone there as much as possible uh, as before. So I think one of the benefits of the um, when you're campaigning is you you get to meet residents you wouldn't necessarily have spoke to, and then you learn the different issues and the uh, different problems that are affecting them, and then it kind of puts you in a great position um, in different when you go to be obviously go to uh, election time. From a general election perspective, it's trying to get way more literature out than in uh, versus a local election you're obviously trying to like sell what the national government are doing um i think they're both equally hard but in different ways so being an actual being the face of the campaign versus obviously uh, trying to help my boss and stuff is, uh, is certainly a new experience but i think it's a lot of walking there's a lot of, i wouldn't say sleepless nights but it's definitely you're trying to think of different ways to help people and then it's a lot of talking. So it's listening and talking. And that's, I think, that's the, mainly the two things that I've learned whilst campaigning is just trying to listen to people and understand their views and expectations. So, so in terms of... Well, go on, no, go on, Simon. I, I guess my follow-up question was, so so what what would you say that you learned most about Hillsy's award that you didn't know before? I would say... Um, I would... Definitely say like the things that I've learned the most is managing expectations of the ward and trying to get uh, trying to speak to officers now I'm elected and manage those expectations for residents. So when they talk about parking, obviously is one of the most difficult things in the city. It's obviously very contentious. So when a resident says you know, I can't park here, I'm and I, I can't promise them a parking space. I can't look. Mm. I can't do that. But I can certainly. Um, message the, the cabinet member who's in charge or message obviously the council uh, uh, the council officer in charge and say look what is being done in the future are there any plans in the future that could obviously mitigate parking provision and like help people be able to park one example is um with the eve introduction of ev vehicles a lot of residents have messaged me saying look i don't have on off street parking what's going to happen when i need to change my vehicle over to an electric vehicle so what I did is I obviously didn't say, oh, you're going to be able to like charge your vehicle straight away just outside your house. I said, what are the council doing to obviously increase electric vehicle charge points? And then obviously I got a uh, report from the council and I gave it to residents. Went, oh, okay, brilliant. So it looks like I'll be able to at least buy an electric vehicle and have different areas I can charge my vehicle in Hillsy. Um, in terms of other expectations, it's trying to, it's basically what I do in my job now. It's like signposts people to the correct help so I say oh look uh, thank you for contacting me um, I've, I've put you in touch with x y and z and then they'll obviously be able to help them so I think like I said before it's managing expectations uh, across the ward and then that way residents get a feel for what can be achieved and what can't be achieved so you're not letting people down but you're basically the best um, information point you can be. I think that's a, a, key, a key point isn't it because sometimes from just from the conversations that I've had with people or indeed from what you see on Facebook people don't necessarily understand what their councillor can do and what their local MP can do and we, which the two different representatives are responsible you know which things they are the, the two different representatives are responsible for um, so it, it's I guess there is a bit isn't there of if to put a nicer 
you know to think of a nicer way of saying it is sometimes it's it's pointing people in the right direction is it and sometimes is it about letting people down nicely to, to, to like you say to set those realistic ex- expect- expectations because you you can't promise the earth yeah exactly it doesn't you don't have to let people down but it, it is a sense of so because uh, i'm in a fortunate position where because i work for the mp and i've studied politics and etc and then now i'm the councillor i kind of already know where to place people and already know look as a councillor i can't do this um this would be a um saying for your mp and vice versa so what's quite interesting is when someone ca- uh, contacts penny and they're obviously part of my ward and they're asking something that the councillor does and penny doesn't it they aren't waiting too long for an answer because it'll go straight to my councillor in- inbox and i go oh i've seen your email um this is this is what we'll be able to do and it's and it goes both ways so like when i got a counselor email today regarding um oh, what was it about i'm not sure i'm probably not allowed to say but um i just went oh we don't deal with this uh this goes straight to the dmp and i sent it forward um and i think that is one of the benefits in my position is i can obviously as i'm not saying i'm a fountain of information for what goes on nationally and and locally but it is definitely a, a positive in my own role. I'll, I'll be able to just point people straight away in the right direction, as you say. Very, a very fortunate thing then for the for the residents of of Hilsey. Yeah. Um, so, hopefully. but but basically, then, if anybody is interested in taking up more exercise, the recommendation is that they join a political party and help deliver leaflets. Yeah, I, <laughs> it is. I'm not going to say uh, point any names, but it certainly helped a few of. Uh, conservative members uh having a campaign in the summer well spring i'm not saying anyone needed to lose weight but you know i have noticed some changes i i I concur i i have to say that i also noted some noticed some changes but i also won't mention who um so but well done on them um so um okay so uh, where are we now so so moving swiftly on to so Obviously, you're, um, you're, you being elected as the, as a councillor is because um, it's because the the, the former o- occupant of your si- of your seat, um, Donna Jones, obviously stepped down as a councillor, she, so she didn't really stand this year uh, because she was standing um, for the police and crime commissioner, um, which obviously everybody will know that um, that she was successful in. Um, but that also meant that the Portsmouth Conservatives needed a new group leader. Um, so you've got a new leader in in the form of Matthew Atkins, who's a who um, who's a who's a council, who's a councillor in in the Cosham Ward, where both Ian and I live. Um, so how did they you beat you? <laughs> uh, well, I didn't stand this year, did I? Because I can't, because I work for a company no, no, owned the, the by last the last time. Matt, Matt Atkins, he was to rate one on one with you, wasn't he? He was in the year in um, in in twenty in oh god two thousand and nineteen when I when I stood in Cosham, yes. Yeah. Sorry, well, obviously, obviously, he <laughs> of the because there was a by-election. He he won one of the one of the terms that was available. But yes, I didn't win. Thank you, Ian. That's that's quite clear. Um. So. <laughs> oh, bless him. Um. So anyway, um, where was I? So yeah. So how. Um. How do you how do you imagine Matthew's leadership is going to going to be different from from Donna's leadership? Um. As a as a new uh, guy to the block, I haven't been around for too long to see how Donna would obviously be a leader for the uh, Conservative group. But from my own perspective, she was obviously a loud voice. Um, 
not a bad thing. I think um, it's, it's really good that she was able to get things done. She had experience. I think that's very different to what um, Matt has because obviously he's only been elected for a few years and Donna's obviously had uh, quite a long time to grow into our role as a councillor then obviously as a leader in opposition and then finally as a leader um, out of the council and vice versa. But I think um, from my own perspective, Matt's leadership with his background in law, he's very analytical and he's quite to the point, he's matter of fact. And I think that's quite useful for a leader in the sense of he can just, for example, get a policy document, read for it straight away and just highlight the important points and then he can obviously convey it to the rest of us who may not have backgrounds in understanding legal texts really quickly. Um, I think he's quite a fair leader. He, when he was being, um, so when he was selected as the leader, he went around the entire group and he said, look, I think you'd be good at this, but what do you want to do? And um, he, he's quite good at bringing people together because Don has been a leader for so long. And there's obviously could have been an issue with fragmentation after where she went to the police and crime commissioner. So I think he's been quite a unifying force. Um, that's just from my own perspective of Matt. Um, in terms of their leadership style, I can't really comment too much because I wasn't around for when Donna has been a leader and versus obviously other councillors have been around for quite a long time. I'm really new. So I can only comment on Matt's leadership. Okay. And how does how does the choosing of the, the, the group leader work um, for the Conservative Party? Because it, it's slightly different, I think, across the different parties but how, how does it work for you guys i don't think we can tell you about that simon involves the sacrifice of a <laughs> goat a secret, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the rolling up of trouser I, legs all sorts really lots of um, lots of salt being I, thrown I imagine it's not dissimilar to other parties you know they give a speech say why they want to be leader and it's up to each individual to make their own decision and then there's a secret ballot um yeah so i, I won't comment on who put themselves forward because obviously matt's a winner and it would be unfair on them but everyone gave their own speech and it was up to everyone else to deem the merits of the speech and what they were going to do for the city and for the conservative group and and the people vote casting the, those anonymous ballots are those are those um councillors or are they are those party members who who's the who's the electorate in that in that selection um so basically it was councillors but again we're, we're as councillors we're upholded to the electorate and conservative mm -hmm. conservative party members so if Matt isn't a good fit in the long term, then we'll hear about it. But at that point, because it's obviously just after the election and, and Donna had just gone, I think, I don't know, it's been so long since they picked a leader, it was done by the councillors. Hmm. I think, like you said, I think that's pretty much identical to how, how other parties kind of seem to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Ian? So if we look at the makeup of the council, um, Dan, you know, with Conservatives are now the largest party. Labour ran a very aggressive campaign towards the Lib Dems. They obviously um, unseated Steve Pitt. They they came very close to winning Fratton. So they, they went very much after the, the Lib Dems rather than the Conservatives. And then when it came to the council chamber, Labour voted the Lib Dems back in as a minority administration. So I guess the question really is that, you know, is there a route or what is the route for the Conservatives to, to gain an overall majority? Um, there's many different ways to be able to obviously get the majority. You could go with a building bridges kind of approach locally with Labour and Lib Dems, but 
I'd say I don't see that happening. But from my perspective, what I would say is the best way is just to look at where we've made gains across the ward. So at Baffins, for example, we got quite an, uh, an increase. Um, Charles Dickens and so basically focus on those wards and trying to shore up the vote there and understand why people may not have necessarily voted Conservative and try and win back some of the seats that we know there's a big Conservative base there. But I understand why they didn't come out to vote. So like we were discussing before the show with Paulsgrove, obviously nothing against George Madrick. I don't really know him, don't know much about his politics, but I understand that people who may have voted for him may have historically vote, would have voted for Tony here, the candidate for Paulsgrove. So it'd be kind of having a reflection and understanding why did you not vote for Tony? Is there anything that as a Conservatives we could have done differently to try and win back those seats? And then I don't want to obviously be too negative in political point scoring, but try and understand why Labour also attacked the Liberal Democrats and then ended up shoring them up into the actual party of power. So it's kind of understanding how we can do things better. So I, I would start, you know, from the ground up and just try and maybe do some questionnaires, leaflets again, and just understand why people who may not, who may have voted Conservative in the past didn't this time round and try and get them back, um, I wouldn't say into our loving arms, but, you know, back into the party. And then obviously ask those who don't vote Conservative, oh, you know, if we did things differently, would you? And then kind of go back, go back to that point. But I would definitely say, my from my own perspective, Paul Scove would be one to focus on, Charles Dickens, and then go from there and just kind of just work the way around the city and understand where we can be successful. Yeah, I think the, the fact that you touched on Paul's Grove there, I think the fascinating, you, know, you you probably might not know if you haven't followed us, but we do love a spreadsheet. I've got I've got I've got more spreadsheets than you can shake a stick at, and what that does is sometimes the stats jump out. And if you look at Paulsgrove as a ward, traditionally it's it's usually second bottom only to Charles Dickens in terms of turnout numbers. Um, but the turnout was usually is around 20%, but was over 30% um, this time. So it, it's clear that, you know, if there is a compelling message, um, you, you can get those folk who traditionally stay home. Um, to come out and put the X in the box if, if you've got a message that they buy into. Yeah, exactly. It will be, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll be very interested to see Labour um, taking the fight to the Tories um, just for the, just to actually see what would happen. I mean, so, somewhere like Charles Dickens isn't necessarily necessarily somewhere where you would immediately consider it to be a, um, uh, to be honest, to be somewhere where there's lots of Tory votes to um to harvest um but obviously dr raj did um did actually quite well last time um so you know it, it would be certainly worth a watch to see kind of what happens in the years ahead as to what can yeah exactly i think nelson ward is somewhere to look at as well like definitely like that was um another one that springs to mind but yeah you're right there, the conservatives we did well in terms of voting increasing our voter share and many wars like for example my ward um i wasn't i wouldn't say i was surprised with how well i did but it was certainly a nice experience to increase the vote share in my world by such a, a large amount and have such a large majority but i think it's about getting like um ian said it's about getting the right message across um i think i did that like um i i had two or three leaflets in the door 
I was constantly going around the area and just like I wasn't bothering people by knocking on doors, but I was certainly saying, look, I'm here now. If you want to come out and chat, feel free. If you don't, send me an email. I understand. I don't want to be the annoying person at the door like, oh, please vote Conservative. But I think it's more about just trying to shore up the support that you have in certain areas and then understanding why people may not or may wish to vote for you next time. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, Simon. You touched there on Charles Dickens, you know, the fact that you, you wouldn't think traditionally there there is a significant conservative, um, you know, voter base there. But I think, you know, the one thing we've learned about Charles Dickens as we've followed it, you know, through probably we're sort of on our, come into our third year now, is that 80, more than 80% of the residents don't turn up to vote. So, you know, you've got a situation where, again, I think any party that can get a compelling or, or independent that can get a compelling message out in a ward like that, you know, you, 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 you don't win that. You don't need 1,200 votes to win that ward. You know, you can win it with you get an extra two, three hundred votes onto your base and, and you're home comfortably. I guess then you're, you're looking for the equivalent of someone like George Madrick then aren't you to with that sort of level of drive and personality that gives people a reason to to get off their butts and actually go vote um whether people like that are in short or readily ready supply is a is a is another question because you know trying to find candidates isn't you know isn't always a beating them off with a stick exercise is it we're not going to ask you that one Dan we're not don't worry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that one's loaded we'll, we'll, we'll let that one pass yeah. okay so um, forgive us but it, I guess we couldn't really let the evening pass without actually um, asking you this one so do you think Matt Hancock should have resigned straight away or should Boris have sacked him anyway um, this one is like it's, it's a mix it's a mixture of feeling so I think everyone's entitled to a private life, give and take. You know, what you do in that private life is, you know, it's up to people's own decisions. So what he did was wrong, in my opinion, my personal opinion. Um, Should he have resigned? Yes, he's the Secretary of State for Health in a global pandemic. He's telling people how to live their lives. And when you have that power, and obviously you're controlling so many people and what they do day to day, you should also stick to the same rules that you set he didn't um whether boris johnson should have sacked him i think if he took longer to resign then yeah i I genuinely think he should have sacked him like a lot of a lot of people have given a lot of patience to the government uh during this pandemic you know it's understandable that certain things could have been done differently with hindsight or things could have been a bit quicker, a bit slower, you know, people understand that. And there's been a lot of patience, but if the main figurehead of who's making the rules doesn't follow them, and especially from what he comments he's made in the past about other people who didn't follow the rules, he should have definitely have done the right thing. And luckily he has and resigned. Um, like I said before, everyone's entitled to a private life in other jobs. You know, if you've done something like he did, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get fired. But I think if you're in public office, it's kind of obvious not to do certain things, especially in, you know, a ministerial office. But, yeah, I think he's done the right thing and he has resigned. Yeah, I think I think it's fairly clear that in the workplace, um, that sort of 
behavior even between two consenting adults i think would be frowned on by most organizations yeah exactly it's and sorry going and what oh simon but yeah i mean from i mean i it's an it's an interesting point, Dan, because I think some of the sensationalist nature of of tabloid media will go for you know go for a different angle on that rather than you know rather than the hypocrisy and rather than um, all of those sorts of things. And and for me, the the key thing is remembering that in this experience, there's in this situation, there are there are some people really deeply hurting and having that hurt dragged out in public. Um, and there's some, you know, some... Uh, yeah, what, what, what the media did to his wife is all, I, I don't agree with either. No. Like, no. Um, I, there's obviously a picture out on social media where she comes out of her home and there's like 10 different tabloid journalists, journalists taking pictures of her. And then obviously they have a daughter. Yeah. But in terms of the question posed, yeah, I, I agree. He should have resigned. And I think Sadid Javid, he's a good pair of hands. He's got x y and z um experience in different portfolios in the government and he's an incredibly hard-working um mp as well as a minister so i think he he is the best person to move the department of health forward um i th- i that would be my opinion but yeah i agree like that some of the tabloid journalists have been a bit uh, um, not above board no i uh, yeah, agree yeah no it's it's an unfortunate you know, it is. It, it, it's all pretty sordid and 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 unpleasant, and and you know, there's there's no place for that. You touched on Super Sag. I'm devastated that he's health secretary uh, because I, he was my pick for PM last time around, and I don't think anybody who's ever run health has has been the next PM. So I um I do worry for Super Sag that this isn't a this ain't a great appointment for him. I don't know how you, I don't know how you run health and look good. He's, he's probably got the best time to do it, and in, in that, in the sense of if he can get COVID numbers down, hospitalizations down, and still give people back their freedoms, which we spoke about today in the house, uh, he's in a good position to obviously get people on board. But yeah, I agree. In terms of people who've held the portfolio before don't necessarily become MP and it's similar with the DWP is that there's a lot of negative press aimed at the at, aimed at these secretary of states because it's it's just so important to people's lives obviously health the NHS is is the bread and butter of what makes you British in a sense so he has got a bloody hard job um, given the portfolio and especially at this time um, in the pandemic but I do think he is a good fit. Uh, when he was picked, I was like, I, I wasn't going, oh, he, why have they picked him? I understand why he's been selected. Yeah. And I think he'd be a good fit. So, Dominic, you have picked Simon? Dominic Cummings got his way in the end then, right? Um, so, um, I, 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 I don't honestly know. It, it's hard to kind of pick the... Um, I'm obviously quite clearly biased that um, the pool from which you would be dredging from um from a point of view of um the sorts of um characters it's about for me it's that you you want someone with character and capability but the capability is the is the most important thing and i I don't i don't know that i think he's probably the the best of a of a bad of a a bad bunch they're running out of competent people to be really honest they've kind of reached the the bit where john major's government kind of reached where they're running out of anyone that you can give anything important 
God. Oh, oh, it's just nice to have lots of MPs to pick from. Right, we're going to move on. <laughs> Is this where you trot out the one about fitting all the Lib Dems in the minibus? No, 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 no. You've you've got an extra one now, haven't you? They, Indeed. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, uh, it's, um, Let's no, see how badly in spend it's, goes. What's that? It's a 12.5% increase in the total number of MPs you've got. I think it's a great thing. Um, so you're a month in, Dan. Um Obviously, you've got a background in the the mechanics of uh, of politics and and how it all works. What would you say you've learned from your your first month of being a local councillor? Um, I think I've increased well, it certainly enhanced my skill on how to listen. Um, so, for example, I met a resident today, and she wasn't asking much of me. It's basically just to look at some drop curbs around her area because she's disabled, and um, I think just having someone to talk to and understand what their problem is, is certainly something I've learned in the past month. I obviously had that skill anyway. I'm not saying I couldn't listen to anyone, but it's, it's just being able to stop and put yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, as a counsellor, you meet all sorts of people from different backgrounds, different walks of life. And just trying to get what their perspective is of a situation is certainly something I've, I'm trying to learn a bit better. Um, I think what people have told me is when I meet them, they're like, oh, you're not what I expected. You know, this, the picture of you look, makes you look completely different. And, you know, I agree. Like, I, I look a bit have different. You, people... Have you been yeah. airbrushed? Yeah, been yeah, I didn't request it, but I'll, I'll take it. Um, like, for example, today I, I had the Moderna jab like yesterday and I just, oh, it's knocked me out basically. But um, So I would say listening is certainly a skill I've learned and just trying to get to grips with um I don't want to keep repeating myself but managing expectations is I don't want to promise the world to someone when I meet them so just trying to just say look this is what I can do um what do you want and this is how I will achieve what you're asking me is basically what I've learned in the past four weeks well, six weeks basically. Yeah, a month and a half in. Um, um, we, we've we've learned talking to lots of local councillors over the last couple of years. The vast majority of the work that you do it is unseen and unsung. It's that case workload that that it, uh, are those small and often private problems that you know you, you can't you can't tell those those stories. Have you been surprised at the volume of 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 work coming through, or is it kind of what you expected? Um, I think working for Penny Morden, you kind of get an idea of when people are going to kind of message you, what makes them react to things. And when I look at what the council were doing, I kind of look and go, look, this is going to affect Hilsey. I've got an idea of what people may, how many people might write in about it. Um, so, for example, with uh, the HMO applications in, in the ward, the people going to write in are the people who live around that road. Mm. So I kind of have an idea of what I think is going to happen. Um, I would certainly say an expectation of the casework. It's 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 Hilsey has a low casework probably compared to other wards. I imagine Paulsgrove, Cosham, Nelson has a lot more problems. Um, not problems, for example, but just more communication with their councillors over mm. different things. Um, from my perspective, I kind of understand what I think will be the issues affecting the ward, and then I'll plan for how many people are going to message me. So it's been. It's been constant, it's been steady. Um, and from my own work, working for Penny Morden, I, I have a good idea of how to manage my workload already. So have there been any surprises in the six weeks? Um, 
anything. I wouldn't that say surprises, how you but thought it would be. there are, I've met people um, I wouldn't necessarily have thought I would speak to. So I've met a uh, an ex admiral. Um, I've met someone who used to be a child's entertainer. So and then their issues, obviously, are the same as anyone else's. But it, it's definitely meeting a mixture of people is very interesting and yeah it's kind of there isn't there aren't any surprises but i've had some really good conversations good stuff so everyone seems to agree that there's a there, there are several different problems facing the city and indeed obviously um the the country and the world beyond beyond portsmouth or beyond the island and we're, we're still including costume as part of as part of the city thanks very much um so um Everyone agrees that there are issues, um, but the solutions are, are often unpopular or difficult, or people can't seem to agree on what the solutions should be. How, how do you think real change can be achieved for those really those really big issues kind of facing us? So, you know, things like you know, climate change, things about dealing with the amount of vehicles on the island, and you know, in, in, you know, all all of those sorts of things that yeah. are really, really big, quite a very emotive issues. How do you think I we think, can get um, that change? We kind of touched on it before people understand if there's a plan like a long-term plan or if there's like a decision that's going to be made even if it's unpopular and it's about communication as well if residents haven't been consulted or even they don't even know about what's happening and then the decision's taken out of the hands and it's made then it's going to be people aren't going to follow it they're going to be like why is this thing done i can't believe this has happened i think aquind is obviously a good example of that where people feel that it's been taken out of their hands and um, the communication wasn't possibly as good as, as it could have been from Aquin in general. Like um, a lot of routes were obviously changed last minute, and I don't want to get into that because it's got blimey. We talk about that for hours. But um, in terms of a good example is the Brexit debate. There's the whole thing with Brexit. Um, lots of people were saying, okay, we've left now. Quite a few Remainers said, I understand it's the will of the people. How are you going to do it? And then chopping and changing the plan, having a general election. I'm not so necessarily saying it's, um, I'm not going to obviously criticise my own party too much, but I think people would have understood the decision if there was obviously certain milestones that were going to be hit. And it's kind of similar with the pandemic, is people understand um, and, they, and they're more agreeable if there's compromises and decisions are made and decisions are stuck to. So in terms of um, for the future with uh, electric vehicles at the moment that's the cut off point is 2030 to be able to obviously no longer sell a new uh, electric uh, a new diesel or petrol vehicle so people are planning for that the whole industry is planning for it and saying and then obviously local government is uh, we're going to have this amount of charging ports this amount of charging uh, points outside people's homes if this decision is then pushed back to 2040 it completely is, is, is an out of detriment to people and be like, oh, well, I've just bought an electric car for £30,000 and now the value isn't the same or the value goes up. I, I don't know what would happen with that side of things. But it's about kind of just sticking to your guns and saying, giving people the ability to kind of get ready for a decision that's made. And that's what I would say is even if it's obviously not most popular, people get on board if they've been consulted and compromise has been reached and then they can obviously plan for the future. So I would say that's probably what I would expect from any policy or decision that's being made. Do you think though, Dan, with the, with the you know, particularly with the traffic in Portsmouth, 
you know everyone agrees that there are too many cars you know that the the you know the footprint is only finite um but almost everyone agrees that the other bloke should give up their car how how do you, do we get the sort of city as a whole taking collective responsibility for for the problem i think it would be obviously having the right forums for people to be able to voice their views and concerns um is trying to understand and balance people's expectations again so obviously in the south of the city is more affluent people are more likely to own a second car obviously i need to check the data on that but that's my opinion that's what i see in certain areas and they obviously may be polluting more than people who don't own a car in a different part of the area of the city so certain things can affect people in different parts of uh, Portsmouth. I, th I definitely think it's going to take a collective decision to understand how to bring people forward and kind of collectively and um, obviously be together in a sense in any decision made. But it's, it's a very complicated issue and not one that I have the answer to, unfortunately. And I think it's going to be a lot of um, research and a lot of debate in the future, which I'm happy to obviously take part in, but I would need to understand the problem a little bit more. So, bearing bearing in mind what you, you know, your the kind of nature of your your responses to both this question and actually the the question earlier on, does that would you be in favour of something like a citizens assembly where actually it is the a diversely and fairly chosen group of people that are they're actually members of the members of the public. That actually identify what the issues are and actually suggest solutions for um, whoever is in power to be able to um, try to implement them because the the current situation seems to be and and again that kind of speaks a bit to what you were saying earlier on about the about the um, about the election terms is that because the things you need to do in order to drive that sort of change are actually can be actually politically toxic maybe those decisions aren't being done but if it's actually rather than a political party or political group making those decisions maybe if that was would that it, would that be something you'd support that it was a actually a group of citizens that were making deciding okay this is this is what we're going to do in order to improve air quality in the city in order to um in order to reduce the number of cars in order to actually make it easier for people to choose active travel w would that be something you'd you'd support um I'm not against more democracy, and I can see the benefits of how a citizens' assembly could bring that. But obviously, people have elected politicians for a reason. They want them to be the voice for them. Um, I think the best way forward was obviously bring the right people in, like bring experts who obviously maybe in different cities across the world who have had some successes in obviously lowering the air, um, increasing the air quality. Sorry, um, and I don't want to. I, I haven't seen the, a citizens' assembly. Be really successful from i haven't i don't have the knowledge or obviously the information with me but i wouldn't support it necessarily it would have to be obviously how would you implement the citizens assembly who would sit on it who would be how would the experts be consulted um what impact does the decision have and that kind of takes away the mandate that a politician has been given because people kind of expect oh i'm voting for this person i expect them to make decisions for me because obviously they have access to the right information. Um, I think consulting people is obviously very important, but does it necessarily have to be in an assembly format? I think, you know, it could obviously be something different that could be explored. 
so I wouldn't actually know. I'd have to see how the citizens' assembly would be used before I make any decision. Because in principle, yeah, citizens' assembly sounds great, but Devil's like I said detail. before, who's written on it? How do you how do you decide what the makeup of the people who are sitting on it? Mm -hmm. You know, do you pick what their income is? Do you pick where they grew up? Like what if they've got a university education? Like what's their background? So there's, there's so many issues with the citizen assembly. With a politician, for example, is you kind of expect what is there. You've picked this person, you've voted for them, you you give some trust for them to make the decision for you. But I'm not saying don't consult people. I, I would never say that. I just it, it depends what citizen assembly would look like. Okay, very much a policy decision <laughs> and a de and a detail. Very much a so. It, 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 to be fair, it's an it's an interesting response from a. So with your background of understanding policy and getting to the nitty gritty, really, it's about the devils in the detail of how would you set that up and how it would work as to whether yeah, that, definitely. Would, that would, like, don't, yeah. I'm quite pragmatic and, and, you know, I may be a different type of politician to what people expect, but it, if I can see the merits in something, I'm not going to shoot it down straight away. I will say, oh, this is what I think is the best. This is the good thing of it. These are the negatives. So, and like I said, I make, I make my decisions after I get all the facts. I don't want to give an emotive response straight away. I'm just being forthright. I would look at it, and if I think it's not right for the city and it doesn't work, then I would say that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, because obviously other parties have put forward similar proposals. I'm not saying, oh, it's, it's going to be rubbish just because they've put it forward, but I would definitely want my own input in if it's going to be forced on me. Like I would want to say, I don't think this would be the right way of doing it, but you know, I understand why people would say such certain things. Thank you. Perfect. So, so, Dan, looking ahead, what's your next big priority? Um, well, I think my next thing, basically, so tomorrow is the planning committee, and um, I don't sit on it, but uh, I put forward a few um, HMO applications to the committee because many residents have contacted me saying um, the building work's already commenced, um, there's going to be a detriment to parking, all these other issues. So my first port of call, I say my next big decision tomorrow is to make sure that residents are heard, make sure that all the things that they've written to me about have been put forward to the committee and that they're listened to. So I think that's my next uh, thing. And then just getting on with my ward work, making sure I'm, I'm seen in the ward, make sure I reply straight away. People actually know that when they contact me, they get an answer or they get at least a response. Um, and it's basically just co committing to what I said I'll do in my leaflet. I said, um, focused as a, a councillor, a local councillor. I want to obviously do local things for Hilsey. Um, in the long term, uh, I'm obviously in a unique, unique position where I get to see um, funds and uh, applications to certain grants and obviously government funding. Not necessarily before anyone else, but obviously I get given a briefing, I get to read it. So the next thing I want to look at is the council's application for the levelling up fund and how money can be brought into my ward in the north of the sea and how obviously a lot of focus is on the south and I want to put more focus on the north. It's the gateway. Hillsley obviously has so much potential, especially in the area around the Lido. So I can't that's my next thing. I want to make sure that we're getting our equal share from the council. Absolutely. And you're 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 privileged to have the uh, the one of the finest rugby clubs in the south in your ward so um we might talk later so dan you've been absolutely superb is there anything else you'd like to add no basically oh, if anyone lives in hillsey and they want to 
mention anything to me, just send me an email or give me a phone call. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Sorry if I look a bit dazed. I, like I said to you yesterday, I, was, I had my Moderna jab. I I didn't know the effects it would have, but it's basically just made me very tired today. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on, Dan. And um, and uh, again, out again tomorrow evening, virtually, the uh, PNCA AGM. So uh, yes, two, two <laughs> nights on Zoom in a row. So marvellous. Can't wait. Absolutely. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guest has been Daniel Weems. And, and, and I've been Simon Sansbury. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>